greetings everybody uh, yes i know it's been a very long time since i posted the last video i mean the last podcast and uh, many of you wrote me a lot of times about the different topics and why i'm not available so for my indian listeners the, the people who are uh, listening me in indian territories let me tell you this old news which is really old that yes we have got an extension from the national medical commission about the examination which is going to held in march or probably after march so what today i have decided is <clears throat> we are going to discuss a important very important topic which is really important that is postpartum hemorrhage all right uh, we are going to discuss it in a very concise but in a crisp manner so that we are able to gather each and every aspect of this with this we are going to study its prevention its treatment apart from which if i if the time permits for us i'll i'll discuss one more topic that is shoulder dystocia all right so this is the thing this is the particular uh, thing we are going to cover <clears throat> so what is postpartum hemorrhage postpartum hemorrhage is uh, abnormal loss of blood after the delivery of baby and there are different parameters like for the vaginal delivery it's 500 ml for cesarean section it is 1000 ml for twins it is again 15 it is for twins again it is 1000 ml and for hysterectomy it is 1500 ml all right so if all this parameters any of the parameters is seen we will diagnose it as postpartum hemorrhage okay <clears throat> and once the blood loss is more than 1000 we'll create it into severe postpartum hemorrhage all right it is going to be severe postpartum hemorrhage above 1000 ml all right so we have classified past postpartum uh, postpartum hemorrhage into two uh, basic categories one is acute or primary and other one is the delayed or secondary the acute or primary is within 24 hours of delivery all right so if the female has given birth to the fetus at this point of time that is in the evening 7 o'clock so till next 24 hours if she bleeds in that particular parameter to match up the diagnosis it's going to be a primary that is within 24 hours of delivery and if it is secondary it's going to be more than 24 hours up to 12 weeks let me make it this very clear there are many different uh, confusions regarding this then many of the people write this as, as six weeks that is the period of purpurium but no delayed can be up to 12 weeks all right and the most common cause is uterine atony uterine atony is the most common cause and second most common cause is retained placental tissue all right retained placental tissue so and which of the following is not a cause of postpartum hemorrhage if i put options in front of you that is uterine atony retained placental tissue placental suction chiriata or placenta previa so out of all these the answer would be placenta previa because it is antepartum bleeding or antepartum hemorrhage right so let's move ahead there are different causes which can lead to this postpartum hemorrhage first let me rule out or first let me talk about the placental causes all right what happens is even after delivery of placenta sometimes the uh, placental cause can be the can be the culprit for the postpartum hemorrhage how it can be the cause it can be a cause by many of the different pathologies like first is placenta bilobata other is placenta succuriata all right 
<coughs> and other one is placenta spuria the three placentas i'm talking about first is pilobata that means there are two equal lobes all right placenta previa means there are two equal lobes sorry placenta pilobata means there are two equal lobes and placenta succinctoriata means there is other lobe which is unequal in size and placenta spuria what does it placenta spu- uh, placenta spuria means that there is another accessory lobe but they are not that is not connected with the major placenta all right it has no connection with the major placenta okay other one is battle door placenta okay battle door placenta is that the umbilical cord is not attached to the center normally when we observe the placenta the umbilical cord is more over at center right it is attached more overly at center so what happens is in this particular pathology that is battle door placenta the 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 vessels or the cord is attached at periphery which gives uh, a more delicacy to the structure so while pulling it can cause the bleeding all right other thing other uh, one of the other causes can be velamentous cord insertion what is velamentous cord insertion that is generally when we see the umbilical cord all of the structures of umbilical cord are covered inside the wharton jelly in a single cord all right but in some placental uh, problems or uh, velamentous placentas what happens is that while when they are close to the placental disc they come out of the wharton jelly that means the 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 distal portion or the terminal portion of the vessels near the placenta is not covered with wharton jelly it is fully exposed hence it is not shock proof area it is not a protective area so which is more proof all right and this is the thing one more thing that uh, there is a variant of velamentous cord placenta all right or velamentous insertion of placenta what happens is that if this was uh, which is called as vasa previa all right it is called as vasa previa it can cause antibody hemorrhage of fetus all right so vasa previa is a variation of velamentous cord insertion that can be the that can be the cause of fetal hemorrhage or or fetal blood loss okay and how how we are going to test the fetal blood loss we are going to test it by alkali degeneration and uh, for your information klinehart batke test it is generally uh, for the uh, it is generally done and for the acidic degeneration what we use is uh we use it for quantitative count all right so that's the thing now let's move ahead there are several different uh pathologies of placenta also that is circumvallate and circummarginate placenta but not as important as other placentas all right one more thing uh <coughs> during this placental removal what happens is sometimes when this accessory or the remaining part of placenta is not able to come out we have to perform a sharp curettage all right uh, if, if initially we are going to perform a manual removal if it is not going to work we have to go for a postpartum curettage this postpartum postpartum curettage has highest risk for the asherman syndrome all right so amongst all the options we see these because the uterus is very big in size firstly second the uterus is bleeding bleeding means it is already full of raw areas and we are creating creating much more raw areas and at that point of time the uterus is at maximum stage of uh, healing so which can lead which can lead to intense fibrosis causing asherman syndrome so postpartum curettage is the maximum risk or carries the highest risk of asherman syndrome all right 
so if i need to uh, concise this postpartum hemorrhage with four words it's going to be 4t 4t that is tone of the uterus trauma tissue and thrombosis thrombosis means any sort of bleeding that is like coagulopathy of female or dic all right so this is the thing now this is a normal phenomena this is a normal phenomena and if the female is him uh, anemic and she faces this particular hemorrhage it can be very brutal for her to bear a pregnancy and especially bearing this particular delivery kind of thing so what we have thought about it that we have <coughs> created a protocol for the prophylaxis of laboring patients that is called as active management of third stage of labor that is called as active management of third stage of labors labor so what it does is it carries four important components it carries four important components all right the first component is uterotonic agents second component is uh, the first component is uterotonic agent and it consists of various drugs we will discuss within few minutes second component is cord removal with a very controlled traction all right so not creating any sort of problem when we are removing the cord and the third thing is delayed cord clamping or the cord clamping and the fourth component is intermittent tone assessment there are some some uh, minor uh, details which we are supposed to take care of and i'll i'll i make sure that we cover all those details all right so let's talk about uh, uh, uterotonic agents there are different sort of uterotonic agents the only agent the first agent not the only agent i'm sorry the first agent which we are going to uh, uh prefer is oxytocin and the dose is going to be 10 units international units there are two benef- there are two things first is im and other one is iv so <clears throat> the im thing is going to be bolus and iv is going to be infusion but what the thing is it is seen that the females with iv infusion has shown better benefits t half of oxytocin is very less and uh, we can use oxytocin as generally a naturally occurring and the synthetically formed thing okay so it is stored in a cool dry place and it is also a milk ejection hormone so but uh, we should not give it in a iv bolus form this is particular very important thing we should not give it in a iv bolus form why because during the labor the cardiac output of female rises uh, tremendously all right and if we give oxytocin in iv form oxytocin is going to cause severe hypotension causing reflex tachycardia causing arrhythmias cardiac arrest and it can lead to mi as well so that's why we are not supposed to give iv in a bolus form iv has also always need to be in the form of infusion hypotension and reflex tachycardia is okay and water intoxication can also be seen because uh, large doses of oxytocin causes water retention so it can cause water intoxications so other drug is methergine that is methyl ergometrin okay so it is generally a photosensitive thing so it is taken in a brown ampule or a brown color capsule it is contraindicated in many diseases so if a if your patient is having pre eclampsia eclampsia heart disease right right this with me that is pre eclampsia eclampsia heart disease any sort of heart disease <clears throat> peripheral vascular disease rh incompatibility or you have already delivered the first twin so in these five parameters you are not supposed to give this particular drug this methergine all right 
and let us uh, discuss it again that is preeclampsia other one is eclampsia then heart diseases then rh incompatibility peripheral vascular diseases and if you have already delivered the first twin all right now the third drug is sintometrin what is sintometrin is it is simply the fusion of first two drugs we studied that is oxytocin plus methergine oxytocin is 5 units and methergine is 0.5 units all right uh, i just forgot the way the 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 route of uh, administration methergine is to be given im only methergine is to be given im only okay other drug is uh, after sintometrin we have carbitocin we have mesoprostol what is carbitocin is a synthetic oxytocin and it is a very potent drug all right it is uh, and because of its higher t half all right it is a very good very potent drug it is given iv over 1 minute okay now when i talk about mesoprostol it is prostaglandin 1 so prostaglandin e1 analog so if it is prostaglandin 1 e analog we can give it as a tablet in india uh, what we prefer is we give per rectal in india the guidelines are uh, supportive for the per rectal i am not sure about your countries uh that's fine like um, because i have many of the listeners from different countries from portugal from germany from usa so there must be different guidelines in your country but yes you are supposed to give this particular thing and this active management of third stage labor is generally uh, it is it is more of a who protocol so it every country must be following it third thing is uh that what are the side effects of mesoprostol mesoprostol it's going to cause severe nausea vomiting causing abdominal pain it can cause pyrexia and you know like let me tell you one thing fever uh, there are two things uh that prostaglandin e has a side effect of pain as well as fever so to remember this i would request you to change your spellings of pain i spell it as p e i n so e stands for prostaglandin e1 and for fever it is f e v e r so since the fever has two e in its spelling so prostaglandin e2 is responsible for the fever all right so that's the thing and hypotension can also be this also be the side effect tranexamic acid it is uh, the recent who approval not uh, too much recent but 3 4 years so it is a antifibrinolytic drug it is injectable in tablet both can be used and both are useful in blood loss it is a who approved thing the third is the second component so we have covered the eutotonic agent now we'll cover the second component that is removal of placental cord by controlled cord traction so controlled cord traction means that we are slowly going to pull the cord with no application of fundal pressure fundal pressure can lead to uh, this problem of inversion of uterus it can cause inversion of uterus so we are not going to perform this earlier it was known as creed's method of fundal pressure which is obsolete and contraindicated now so what are we going to do with the right hand we're going to hold the cord and from the left hand we are going to push the fundus up all right we are going to push the fundus up but no fundal pressure so it's it's called as modified brant andrews method b r a n d t brant andrews method third component is cord clamping we are supposed to uh, clamp the cord so there are different uh, situations of clamping and there are two particular stages of clamping one is uh, early clamping and other is delayed clamping what is early clamping if you clamp 
the umbilical cord within 1 minute it is called as early clamping and if it is clamped after 1 minute it is called as delayed clamping so uh, what what are the cases where we are going to follow the early clamping thing firstly the cases we are going to follow the early clamping thing is when baby needs resuscitation when it is rh incompatibility matter or, or the known uh, case of heart disease in a baby that means when baby st- uh, needs to be attended very quickly uh this is the part this is a clinical thing i'm trying to explain you that whenever baby needs a early resuscitation or early care or so in that particular cases we are going to do an early cord clamping and apart from this rs incompatibility because more for the more time we'll expose the blood for the of uh, of uh, 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 we'll for the delay time we are going to do clamping for the more of the time will be the exposure for the mother with respect to the fetus uh, blood group which can cause which can increase the chances of creation of antibodies and causing complications for the second pregnancy as rh incompatibility thing we are going to study if it comes under the random random tof- topic in coming days now what about preterm child so what are we going to do for preterm child look if preterm child is not in a need of resuscitation preterm child is fine as of now so we can delay the cord clamping because what are we going to do a minute of delay of cord clamping can give 100 to 80 to 100 ml of blood to the patient to the to the baby all right for the one minute clamping we get 80 ml of blood and for three minutes of clamping we can provide the baby with 100 ml of blood and 100 ml of blood means 50 mg of elemental iron that is hell enough stuff for the baby so we can help him a lot by just 3 minutes of delayed clamping that's why so in preterm we are going to go for delayed clamping for rh positive baby in rh negative mother i already said it's going to be early early and early and for hiv positive mom if the mom is hiv positive we are going to go for early there are many countries which follow the delayed policy because in, in developing countries it is seen because the nutritional status of mother is so in comp uh, uh, mothers are so compromised which cause the nutritional compromise of fetus so just to avoid this particular thing we allow delayed delayed clamping because the uh, the baby might not die with the aids or might not even catch the the thing this aids disease but might die with the malnutrition within few days or few hours so to prevent this we generally in developed countries it is followed that delayed cord clamping is uh perform just to avoid this or just to provide with the extra blood so the fourth component is intermittent tone assessment what is intermittent tone assessment what assessment what are we going to do we are going to assess the tone of the uh, mother's uterus in for every 15 minutes let me tell you this very clearly that uterine massage is not a part of it uterine massage is not a part of it all right so and one more thing delayed in, in in the third component cord clamping is generally done delayed only all right as a third component well uh, i mean what what i what i mean to say is that in a normal female when we perform a cord clamping procedure it's always going to be delayed according to the protocols okay so the fourth component it is intermittent uterine assessment and uterine massage is not a part of it uterine massage is not a part of treatment it is a part, uh, not a part of prophylaxis it's a part of treatment okay so this is the thing in india for the people studying in india although it's not taught to us it's never taught to us but we defer the cord clamping 
all right uh, in india the court clamping is in after the delivery of placenta although it's not followed uh, it's not uh, followed in our books it's not followed in our uh, notes but this is something uh, the the indian guidelines say so the court clamping is deferred until the whole placenta is delivered all right in normal deliveries so most important component up till uh, of the four of the all four components we have studied is oxytocin if we give the proper oxytocin care we can perform we can produce this we can decrease this loss by 50% but this is the reason also that oxytocin sometimes creates postpartum hemorrhage causes also because of the oxytocin abuse we see many of these cases so what is acute pph now let's talk about acute pph when the patient has started bleeding so what are we going to do there are two specific thing and two treatments the first is non specific treatment another one is a specific treatment for the non specific tre- treatment we going to catheterize the patient arrange the blood blood propping rh typing coagulation profile iv fluids catheterization all that stuff that is that is we are going to do for any patient coming with trauma but more important thing is start biomanual uterine massage biomanual means with both your hands do not use a single hand and call for the help because when the patient is landing into postpartum bleed no matter how much superman or supergirl you are you can't manage the patient alone you need a team who can at accompany you by the time so this is the thing so start by you by manual uterine massage and call for the help yes you have to call for the help it is a protocol all right now let's move ahead what are we going to do i have a mnemonic for the series of drugs we are going to use so what are the series of drugs we are going to use that's the mnemonic is oxy met miscarbo uh oxy oxy is my dog it's its name of my dog actually so that's why i made this mnemonic oxy met miscarbo all right so oxy is oxytocin met means methergen mis means mesoprostol and carbo means carboprost carboprost is also called as dinoprost also called as hebmate all right carboprost is contraindicated in asthmatics carboprost is a fg pg f2 alpha analog and it is contraindicated in asthmatics because it causes it causes bronchoconstrictions all right let me just make this very clear and other is prostaglandin uh, so prostaglandin e1 that is mesoprostol it can be used so let's start a cascade first what first what we are going to do is we'll start we'll start with the oxytocin 30 to 40 units in a 500 ml normal saline infusion not bolus we are going to give it infusion we have already said this that we are never going to give bolus iv all right if there is no response then we'll go for methergen methergen is contraindicated in many diseases we already talked about that is preeclampsia heart failure heart disease i mean uh eclampsia all these so we're not going to give methergen in those third thing is mesoprostol yes we can give mesoprostol and the dose will be increased dose will be increased the mesoprostol dose for the prophylaxis was 600 micrograms but here the dose is going to be 800 so yes 800 micrograms can be sublingual can be parietal both then if it is still the, the uterus is atonic and not contracting we can go for the carboprost 
carboprost is contraindicated first second is what is the maximum dose we can give for the carboprost that is 2 mg 2 mg is the maximum dose but you cannot give it in a single shot all right what are you going to do you are going to perform you are going to give it in eight multiple doses at 30 minute interval not like you are giving it as much as you want and as many as times you want you have 2 mg of carboprost or dinoprost in eight shots or eight doses and every dose should be 30 minutes apart so according to this and the the route would be intramuscular so what you can deliver is 0.25 mg or 250 micrograms for my indian listeners let me tell you this is this is the neets 2019 neet pg's 2019 question that what is the dose of what is the dose of this the carboprost which can be given in postpartum hemorrhage so yes it is 20 mg or 250 micrograms to 20 sorry i'm sorry 0.25 mg or 0.25 mg 0.25 mg i'm repeating it again 0.25 mg or 250 micrograms and minimal uh, it's the minimum dose and the maximum dose is allowed in a single day is 2 mg that is in eight doses side effect is diarrhea and hypertension if still the patient is not controlled let me tell you it is one of the most potent drugs so if the still it, the patient is not able to control the condition uh, if we are not able to get over this particular hemorrhage we are what, what are we going to do we are going to see two things first is we are going to look for the completeness of placenta if we are able to find that yes the placenta is complete then we have to look for the other causes all right but if placenta would be present it will show intermittent atonicity so intermittent atonicity means you have to rule out uh, you have to look for the placenta and take it out but if it is not the thing you should look for genital tract trauma if the it is genital tract trauma for the uh, for the time being the uterus is tonic because you have given so much of doses the uterus will respond if it, the uterus has not gone atonic because of this particular uh, region because of hemorrhage all right so uh, if the it if the reason is genital trauma genital tract trauma uh, after giving the doses the uterus uterus will come into the tonic stage but bleeding won't stop so to stop bleeding we will start with the tamponade thing so we have three options first is sand stick and black mold tube other is bakri balloon bakri balloon tamponade tube but if we have none of these we can go with a condom we can tie a condom with a foley's catheter and push 500 ml of normal saliva via condom in uh, into the uterus so uh, the expansion of condom will help the uterus to stop the bleed it's just like the same procedure what we perform in esophageal varices right it's if still the patient is bleeding we are supposed to do a uterine artery ligation but what is the problem with a uterine artery ligation the patient should be stable the uterine artery ligation can only be performed if the patient is stable other thing is uh, it's not easily available and it's a part of interventional radiology so that's why it is not that much easily available now if still the things are not working we are going for the surgical thing surgical for the surgical thing we are going to go for a pilinch suture all right pilinch suture there are other other sutures also like cho square sutures perira sutures but uh, what are we going to do here is pilinch suture these are most common and very great sutures because they form a brace like thing uh, brace like 
binding over the uterus and they'll com- contract the uterus for a while and all of these are absorbable sutures and as the patient is still bleeding we are going to ligate the uterine artery let me clear the com- confusion again uh, uh, for for a while after tamponade what are we going we, what we were doing is uterine artery embolization all right after that what we did was surgery peel in sutures if still the patient bleeds we are going to now do uterine artery ligation earlier it was embolization now we are going to do ligation i hope i am clear and it is clear with the uh, protocol but what is the level of uterine artery ligation it's going to be at the level of internal loss if the patient is still bleeding we can ligate ovarian artery also because sometimes ovarian artery is an anastomosis with uterine and ovary uh, uterine artery so it might happen that even after ligating uterine artery the things are not in control so you have to ligate uterine artery also if the patient is still bleeding you have to ligate the anterior division of internal iliac artery that is going to be 5 cm distal to the bifurcation of common iliac artery all right by this we will uh, it it will reduce the pelvic pulse pressure by 80% okay so that's the thing which will uh, help in thrombus formation if still the patient is bleeding there is nothing left to save we are going to go with a supra cervical approach and we will do the hysterectomy why supra cervical approach because we have to keep the cervix intact for a sexual life of female all right being an obstetrician and obstetrician and gynecologist we don't have any right to play with sexual lives of a patient so it's our moral duty to keep this particular thing in our mind this dictum in our mind while we perform any sort of surgeries that the sexual life should be prevented of young couples all right this is the thing but one more thing is that common iliac is never ligated okay now let, let let me tell you one more thing that there are some odd causes there are some odd causes that even after uh, even after hysterectomy the patient is still bleeding so what can be the cause it can be due to slippage of ligature so what are we going to use we are going to perform a pelvic pressure pack or umbrella pack or a parachute pack all right it's uh, not commonly called as a pelvic pack that is we'll we'll go for the packing so risk factors what are the different risk factors for the atonicity that is multifetal pregnancies polyhydramnios big baby and fibroids so that's the thing and there are different risk factors but here we are not uh, present just to listen the risk factors we are here to discuss the important timings and guidelines right so this was the thing uh, this was the way we are supposed to manage the hematomas uh, uh, sorry not the hematoma i'm sorry the hemorrhage and all this stuff now uh, what i'm going to discuss uh, with you is shoulder dystocia shoulder shoulder dystocia is that what happens is when uh, we are delivering a baby uh, the shoulder should come out in 1 minute after coming of head when the head comes out after that within a minute a shoulder this, this particular shoulder should come out but if shoulder fails to come out within a minute that is called called as shoulder dystocia all right so let me repeat the definition again so that it would be clear to you uh, again that is shoulder dystocia is one minute delay in the delivery more than one minute delay in the delivery of the shoulder after the delivery of head has taken place 
so that's the thing and what happens is sudden pulling back of head towards the perineum and the uh what happens is that head tries to get back inside the female's body or the mother's body to and so it is attracted it is attracted towards the perineum called as turtle sign i sometimes repeat the words again with the with emphasizing them because it makes the words clear sometimes we are in a audio mode so lip reading is not possible to anticipate the word i was using sometimes the words are not clear on the audio note with people so for this particular thing i generally emphasize and repeat the word again all right so what are we going to do so we have a shoulder dystocia patient and it is again obstetrical emergency because uh, the sh- neck is going to be entrapped between the shoulder and the head which is which can cause asphyxia and cause many other complications all right shoulder dystocia can be seen in many of the uh, many uh, many categories of uh, female uh, patients one of them is diabetes mellitus or uh, one of them is macrosomia that is big baby so what happens is what are you going to do is uh, the first is again you're going to call for help you're not a, not a superman so you're going to call for a help and you'll perform the episiotomy after performing episiotomy you'll empty the bladder after emptying the bladder so how can you empty the bladder by catheterization right yes you have to catheterize the patient then after catheterizing the patient the first procedure you're going to perform is sudden flexion and sudden abduction of maternal thigh yes it's going to be sudden to create a thrust over the baby it's always going to be suprapubic pressure not a fundal pressure fundal pressures are contraindicated then you're going to perform the rubin's maneuver the wood corkscrew maneuver that is you are going to turn the baby then sims man uh, a sims procedure in the lateral left lateral position then gaskins all four maneuvers that is the female has to uh, has to be in the that particular particular posture with all of her limbs that is all four position in olden days after all four after failing all these maneuvers whatever what we were supposed to do we used to do cleotomy which is contraindicated these days so after that what are we going to do we are going to do the zavenaris maneuver zavenaris maneuver is the last maneuver that is pushing the baby's head back into the pelvis and then go for cervical section sorry cesarean section i'm sorry i'm uh, i'm i was thinking something it's not cervical i'm really sorry it's cesarean section yes so while rotating this maternal thigh and abducting the, the thigh we have a, a fair chance of causing a cutaneous damage so we can damage a lateral cutaneous nerve that is a branch of femoral which is called as miralgia paresthetica all right so this is the way you're going to deal with the shoulder dystocia so that's that's a wrap for today uh, i hope this session was more of a interesting thing than being dry and boring like other topics we have discussed in past and uh, we uh, the nature has gifted us with a beautiful time extension for our entrance examination so let's use this time and share with pridding colors i wish you best of luck thanks a lot and i'm really thankful to every one of you for giving me a good response and giving me the positive feedback this positive feedback is inhibiting my negative feedback to make uh, to stop making these podcasts and i feel joyful and happy while making new podcast thank you everybody goodbye